The Athletic. Totally Football Show. Today, big final energy. Man United win theirs in the Carabao Cup and against Spurs. Has Graham Potter had his? We talk skip and whether Potter is destined for one. Also today, West Ham's whopping win. Can Arsenal beat Everton this time round? Leicester shots being rarer than tomatoes and much, much more in this Totally Football Show. Yes, indeed. It's Monday, the ooh, 27th of February. All right. And on today's Totally, we've got some Sasha Gurionov. Morning, James. Good morning to you, Sasha. Carl Anker's with us. Ahoy, hoy, James. Very much ahoy, hoy to you. And from his writing desk, it's Daniel Story. Hello, Daniel. Good morning, James. Good morning. Oh, you all had a busy weekend. Sasha, you went to Fulham Wolves on Friday... Palace, Liverpool on Saturday. Sunday, you didn't chill. You went to... Actually, Sunday, you did chill, <laughs> I imagine. Because uh, Spurs, Chelsea, in this weather, Sasha. Um, it was a bit chilly, but I think the game itself was quite feisty at times. Okay, then. Warm me up. What's your... Because t- that's three... <coughs> three. Um, I mean, it's remarkably cold out there. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure we've all noticed. What's your tip for staying warm in these circumstances? So, my, my tip would be not to go to any evening games because right. the temperature on the banks of the Thames, yeah. especially at like Craven Cottage, no yeah. sleep dro- drops. Temperature in South London after 7pm, not sleep drops. Mm. So, um, yesterday was actually okay. Yesterday afternoon was okay. Actually. Okay, but at, at, say, Craven Cottage or No, I usually, uh, so in the past, yep. I have um, gone to wearing tights yep. under my trousers, mm. uh, under armour mm-hmm. uh, in the winter. Mm. Uh, sometimes two layers of under armour in the winter. Yep. Really? Yep. Yeah. How many did you wear this weekend? Uh, this weekend, I was, it, was like, it wasn't actually that bad, James. It really? may be, it's like dropped in the evening, but the one thing that is bad in cold weather, my hands... Yep. So if my uh, if I'm not wearing gloves like yeah. I did on a couple of occasions this weekend, my my basically hands start falling apart as you can yeah. see. Yeah, I've got yeah. Rain yeah. Lots of cream, lots of cream, I reckon. Yeah. But for yeah. typing, that's an issue. Daniel's got his hand up. Yeah, yeah, I think the the ultimate hack here, the, the very much the layperson's hack, is tuck your t-shirt into your trousers. Oh. Uh, the amount of heat you lose by having your t-shirt not tucked into the trousers under the jumper or coat is right. extraordinary. Oh, I've got a. I've got a primary area of heat loss, which isn't my midriff. I've got, <laughs> I, I've got to say, I, other tips include Ian McIntosh. Uh, always used to, always used, you know, the the power unit of your of your yeah. laptop, sticking that down your shirt, Ooh. or indeed the whole laptop at this point. That's Carl, electric, electric, because you went to Wembley one. this weekend. I did wearing nothing but a very natty suit. I did. I, I, I must say, around about the half hour mark, I slightly regretted the the thickness of my socks. Right. So I was wearing a uh, only one pair, one pair of uh, pink, light pink socks, right, with some uh, proper shoes, shiny loafers, mm-hmm. uh, and as the temperature dropped around Wembley, around about five p.m., feet, I thought probably should have worn my red wing socks, right. which are, those are my hack, uh, red wing socks, bamboo socks. So bamboo high, socks, bamboo socks, good high yeah. quality socks keep a lot of heat in there. Right, and two pairs of socks, I think, would be pretty. Pretty much so standard night games for anyone again, to. If I'm doing a night game, so at 8pm, right. Europa League or whatnot, I tend to wear, you, you know, your thick bamboo socks and then a pair of Red Wing socks or indeed sort of a pair of football socks over that as well. Oh, yeah. uh, and then a pair of boots and then off, off I go to an 8pm kickoff and whatnot. One there thing I would point out as well, what mm-hmm. helps is a hot meal in the media centre. Yes. Bingo, there you go, listener. I hope that's of some practical use also, to you. Also, silver line gloves as well. Silver. Silver. So I have I have Reynolds, so much like Sasha, especially. So it's not even... You have what? I have Reynolds syndrome, so uh, blood circulation in my fingertips and toes of, oh. is very, very poor. So oh. I, my, my fingers will turn blue. Blue. Yeah. Uh, in three degrees, so right. I have to I have to wear special gloves. Uh, silver, silver lining. lined. They, they have, have silver sil- lining in the in the extremities, so right. it keeps it's like extra tightness <laughs> sh- in the gloves. I, sh- I should get into. Right. Oh, well, I can think it's literally a silver lining playbook here. I was about to say if I was going to say that that item of clothing mentioned sounded like a setup for a, a, t- a segue, which is well, there you go. <laughs> yeah. My final mention: a USB hot water bottle. If it go, if it, if temperatures are really Ooh. plummeting south, so you USB plug that into water. your laptop or similar. Yeah, it charges. It it stays very hot because you can keep kind of charging it with the USB. So, yes. Boom, they, and they make tea brilliant. with it as well. Wow, it sounds safer. Brew, yeah. <laughs> sounds safer than Ian McIntosh's 
power pack in the t-shirt yeah all right excellent of course uh, daniel you were also at wembley for sunday's big cup final the first domestic trophy finale of the season so why don't we start with some of that this is the totally football show part of the athletic podcast network and sponsored by live score bet you can get the latest football betting odds at livescorebet.com it's over 18s only please bet responsibly and be gambleaware.org delivery was really threatening it's more than that Casemiro has pounced for Manchester United Weghorst through for Rashford he has a chance and when he has a chance it always seems to work out for him Manchester United back in the business of winning Sunday afternoon at Wembley Manchester United 2, Newcastle United 0 in the League Cup final. Carl Anker as a Manchester United supporter. This was the best kind of win, really, you know, a score early and then administer. Very much so. Scrappy opening 20 minutes from Manchester United and then a straightforward 70-odd minutes after that. Uh, Newcastle United didn't have too much other than Alan San Maximan running at Diogo Dallo, who seemed like he didn't have his sea legs. But um, after Casemiro's opening goal, that was really it. United really nullified... Newcastle's strength, what they had. Uh, Newcastle probably weren't a full strength. Bruno Guimanes didn't look fully fit. Joe Willock especially looked quite off full fitness as well. Um, and any time in the second half, especially Newcastle tried to venture towards David De Gea and, and the penalty area, one of Lissandro Martinez, Casemiro, Rafael Varane was there to make a tackle or make a block. So that was a streetwise, comfortable without being complacent performance that a sensible football team do. Mm. And... I have gone from a point on Derek Ten Hag where I've stopped being surprised when Manchester United play in a competent manner. I have reached the point where I'm now delighted by it and I, I greatly fear the point towards the end of this season where I might start expecting competency from Manchester United right. instead. You've had a taste of success. Now you're hungry for more, aren't you? A, ta- a taste of just sensible, settled okay. possession. What, what was the best bit for you of Sunday? <laughs> um, there was a moment right near the end uh, where Marcel Sabitzer was stood in between two Newcastle attackers for a throw-in, and he was face-to-face with Eric Ten Hag, much in the way I am with you right now. And so it's a point to both of them, just sort of, which one? Which one do you want me to mark? And mm. Ten Hag sort of shrugged and went, you're fine, we're 2-0 up, it's five minutes left. Like, you, you don't have to defend this throw in the same way you want. So it's a tried calling over Scott McTominay to defend the other man, and Ten Hag's like, no, no, the structure's good. Don't, don't stress too much. This is a good final. Um, I also greatly enjoyed Jaden Sancho's entrance into the mix zone, which is the most Jaden Sancho entrance you will ever see. How did it go? Valt <laughs> uh, Weghorst was, was speaking effusively and quite humbly about how this is his first ever trophy uh, and it's a dream come true to, to win anything, especially at a club at Manchester United. And doing the very much, I can't believe I've managed to get to Manchester United. I'd very much like to stay at Manchester United. And you start hearing some bass. <laughs> you know, oh, who's, who's not plugged in there? Headphones. Oh, it's getting closer. What's happening? And Jaden Sancho's got his suit. He's like, yes, boys. Uh, holding a, what I can only describe, a rucksack-sized speaker. Mm. Uh, and is just celebrating loudly uh, as Lissandro Martinez is behind him holding the League Cup trophy, just grinning ear to ear like, hello. Uh, and behind the, that pair is Marcus Rashford with his headphones up and his hoodie up. Uh, I gave Rashford a little hug and whatnot. Uh, so yeah, that the mix zone bit was a highlight for me. But in, in game, just a very confused Sabitzer as the new low knee player go. Oh, I really, I really, 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 really want to look like I'm busy. Yeah. Because I really want to get this winners medal. What should I do? And turn hard be like, you're fine. Don't worry. Nice. I'm glad you enjoyed it, Carl. Because I have to say, for me as a neutral, it was a bit dull as far as <laughs> go. We didn't get the carrier's redemption. We didn't get Newcastle did. lending there long. Did. did we get that? I think. I think did we did. We did I think I think with Karius, a competent man. Yeah, I think I think with Karius, it wasn't important to win. Okay. It was important to play well, and I think just often, not to. Yeah, I, th- I think you j- just to do everything properly, which okay. I think I think he generally did. I think perhaps the setup for the first goal, and this is um, friend David Priest is um, kind of a big stickler for this. Not a high line with an in swinging free kick, but um, I, th- I think overall he made the saves he was supposed to make. I think he was very very unlucky with the uh, deflection. Uh, because I, I think some people are trying to give Karius stick for it, but I think mm. it's because of the history. But if you look at the uh, Rashford shot, it's slow and across him, and it ends up looping straight and over him, and mm. his, his body is naturally already moving. So that's not on him. A couple of nice saves, keeping the score down to 2-0 as well for Newcastle. And I think hopefully something will kick on from this. And I saw that piece that Athletic did with um, 
sort of family members um, of um, of the Newcastle players involved in the final. Uh, and I thought uh, the the letter from um, Karius's partner, Diletta Liotta, was was lovely because I think um, it kind of clearly spoke of how much pain he's been in, and um, you know how much this weighed on him. And obviously, he hasn't played for two years, and of course, it would have been before then, you know, the prehistory with Liverpool as well. And I, th- I think hopefully from this moment, he can be sort of, you know, seen as a professional as opposed to damaged goods. Because, you know, I think for the last five years, everybody looked at Harrison like, is that guy? And, you know, he knows it, he feels it. Um, and hopefully after this final, you know, things will change for him. Excellent. Daniel, what did you make of the, the big game? Yeah, I'm broadly on your side in terms of the spectacle of it. Um completely agree with Kyle about that uh, you know the way Manchester United shut down the game that kind of triangle of Martinez Varane and Casemiro is is so incredibly solid the, the, the thing I thought watching Casemiro yesterday is it took until about 60 minutes until I remember that Christian Eriksen existed because it doesn't seem to matter who plays next to him he, he kind of does the job of one and a half and he makes everyone around him so calm and yet whenever he makes a tackle he's kind of fist pumping to the crowd he's he he knows what he's doing in terms of raising that mood and they're just listening to i was on the train back last night and just listening to manchester united fans they're basically half incredibly grateful that casemiro chose their club but also sort of slightly haunted by the fact that we spent two or three years just sort of going through non-effective options in central midfield and everyone trying to work out what the problem was and it turns out having a kind of strolling, patrolling, controlling midfielder is what every club needs and that's what he is. Right. If only you'd thought of that, Carl. I know. Yeah. <laughs> was here's, I thinking? Here's, here's Ander saying, not to be too much of a Luddite, but would Carl et al. agree that advanced metrics would never be able to moneyball teams into finding talismans like Casemiro? He is awesome, but presumably statistically, he only shows up as exceptional in how much better he makes 10 other players. Uh, that's a bad misreading of what moneyball is. All right. So Moneyball... Let's, Moneyball. Call, let's focus on, on the praise for Casemiro. Moneyball... So, I mean, so Casemiro... So I... On more than one occasion yeah. for The Athletic, I wrote a piece saying, McFred is not working. Manchester United need a defensive midfielder. Here is a list of defensive midfielders Manchester United should go out and get. Um, and I never put Casemiro on the shortlist because... Right. I never expected Casemiro to ever leave Real Madrid, uh, and I never expected Manchester United to have the the wherewithal and uh, sense. sensible thinking mm. to recruit someone like Casemiro. Right. But what about his ability to make everyone around him look better? It's it's fantastic. It's phenomenal. I think what's interesting, what has been interesting in the last three or four interviews from non-Casemiro players at Manchester United is they talk about the the softer intangibles. So we've had Lissandro Martinez talk about how him and Rafael Varane are very clearly talking to each other in Spanish. Which was one of those sort of, oh yeah, I, I knew that was happening, but it's nice that someone confirmed it. Uh, and Fred, who has been much maligned and lamented and talked about uh, as this sort of bizarre enigma, is much better playing next to Casemiro. Yes, you know, they played together in the Brazil national team together, but there have been three or four moments where you can see Fred turn to Casemiro and Casemiro's given him that sort of small man on step of a couple of yards left, right instruction that... Every central midfielder, every defensive player benefits from. Casemiro is very good at being able to give out an instruction so someone can move five yards in the correct direction so you don't need to make a 35-yard recovery tackle. Um, and I think that is perhaps something a spreadsheet can't tell you, but every football scout in the Premier League worth their salt should be able to identify quite easily. I'm going to write this later, and by that point, the hyperbole will and the, will have decreased somewhat. But there's a cantonal element to this in that... When Cantona came in, he was brilliant in terms of his technique and his ability and, and the influence on the team in the now. But the big thing was about the culture he put in. And with with Cantona, that was about the culture of, of practice, about the importance of training, about the complete commitment to training and without going too, into too much depth. When he was banned for eight months, he had the whole of the class of 92 and he basically convinced them on the importance of that training. And that's what built that Manchester United team. With Casemiro, it's about the importance of winning. And I think the reason it's working so well is that Manchester United are not surprised by that attitude in Casemiro. They knew it was there. They're probably surprised he came, but they're not surprised it was there. But it seems like, from everything Casemiro says, he's surprised by how much there is in Eric Ten Hag of that winner. Like He's mm. constantly talking about like forcing us the extra millimetre, about squeezing out wins. And you can tell he just absolutely loves that attitude in his manager. And that, I think that's why it's working so well. It's not... It's not it's not a million miles away that this isn't working out because Manchester United have a different manager and then they're in that same old funk. But it just fits at the moment. 
So the, the other great uh, quote from Casimiro this weekend was, uh, anyone who knows me knows that I go for a ball like it's a plate of dinner. That's my profile. <laughs> nice. Which I thought nice. actually is perfect. And, you know, he knows himself perfectly. So what has been the biggest impact for Man United, getting Ten Hag in or getting Casemiro in? I think it's a combination of players because, I mean, and also players have were already in place before, you know, like someone like Varane. Mm. Um, and Varane look, didn't look like very much last season because perhaps he didn't have the Casemiro figure there. So I think you, you, there, there are the right players around him. And, you know, you know, Rashford presumably is buzzing off Casemiro as well. Bruno Fernandes is protected mm-hmm. by Casemiro behind him. So I think, you know, they have this midfield maestro. Who is the maestro? He's marshalling everything around him. I think if it, the, the, the Manchester United spine of the Ole Gunnar Solskjaer it was David De Gea, Harry Maguire, Fred and Scott McTominay, eventually Bruno Fernandes and a striker. Uh, whereas within six months of Eric Ten Hag, it's David De Gea, Lissandro Martinez and Rafa Varane, Casemiro and another, Bruno Fernandes and a striker, which is just a remarkable upgrade. Yes, okay, 250 million has been spent. Mm. Uh, but uh, So your personnel superior to what came before it and then tactically this Manchester United team is far superior at counter-pressing so once they lose the ball they win it back uh, with an aggression and uh, a structure that was just not present last season the seasons before that they have uh, they are capable of settled possession so uh, previous seasons Manchester United especially in midfield and defence treated the ball like it was a bomb whereas now they can play for five minutes and just ping it around a little bit as well Newcastle also have had a similar transformation as well. So you, you look at the Newcastle spine of the Steve Bruce era. I don't know what Steve Bruce was trying to do with Newcastle back in the day, but you know now Newcastle have recognisable patterns of play and, and they have a system and they have a much better spine. And yeah, these are two United teams mm. uh, that are on on a upward trajectory and will most likely be battling for, for silverware in the seasons to come. Right. Well, Manchester United have now picked up their first bit of silverware under Ten Hag. And as I say quite a bit of a taste for it perhaps winning breeds winning you're still in two or is it three more competitions this season Carl you presumably went along on Thursday night for the Europa League one which saw you go behind to Barcelona but that man Fred get the ball rolling for a stirring United comeback Ten Hag substitutions everyone was raving about that Yes, it's 19 goals from substitutions now, so um, the most in Europe's top five leagues. Daniel once made a point about uh, Antonio Conte when Conte was ill uh, for for goal ball, etc. And he said, we can make comments about interim managers and whatnot, but when you lose a manager to illness like that, you lose that presence on a dugout that can identify a problem and make a change. Yeah, not sure that quote quote was aged quite as well. Um, And... (laughs) There's been two or three times that Eric Ten Hag has looked at a football game and spotted something five minutes before that right. uh, another manager wouldn't. Especially in the Barcelona game, there was one moment quite early on in the first half where Balde span out to try and overlap Juan Bissaka and Bruno Fernandes. And Juan Bissaka sort of went to move to pressure him. And Ten Hag paused and said, no, not yet. Wagged his finger and said, wait for my command. And then when the ball was played, he went, now you can go. And it's that sort of fine margins and little differences that make Ten Hag I mean in my opinion I think Ten Hag is he, he's in the you know, my imagined list of top 10 managers how many right competitions now. are you in this season you've got Wednesday you've got West Ham in the FA Indeed. Cup you've got Real Betis in the next Indeed. round of the Europa League last 16 you're 8 points behind Arsenal yeah I'll, I'll, I'll say Manchester United are in, in in, in good competition for the for the cups, right. whereas the Premier League is is between Manchester City and Arsenal. The famous treble, it's on. <laughs> uh, a quick word on Newcastle: Is it going to be another twenty years before they're back at Wembley? Yeah, I mean, I think this was kind of the sweet spot uh, final for Newcastle fans. I know plenty. I saw thousands and thousands more. I think reported one hundred and twenty thousand Newcastle fans down in London on Sunday. Oh. And that is because this was the one final where it wasn't expectation. It was a kind of celebration of the Mike Astley era being over. It was, we're not going to go through that strangulation again. Um, but we're also here with hope rather than, oh no, we haven't won a trophy this season. Our manager's going to get sacked, which may well happen in the next th- two, three, four, five years. And the, the League Cup may well become that trophy where they think, oh, it's a midweek annoyance because we're in Europe. So that was the sweet spot. They were ultimately disappointing, but... They have overachieved. You look at the subs yesterday and they brought on Jacob Murphy. They brought on Ellis and Elliot Anderson. They brought on 
Uh, Matt Ritchie, yes, they brought on Alexander Isaac, and I don't think that's really worked because I think if they were going to spend £60 million on a striker, it probably should have been proven and they want to go a different way, and, and fair enough. But you look at the players that Manchester United bring on and they are just a different level, and I think that shows the improvement. Even the first team, you know, Callum Wilson is a trier and he's a decent striker, but he's not a, a Champions League striker. Uh, Sean Longstaff is a trier, but he's not a Champions League midfielder. They had the the issues with Loris Karius and, and that maybe caused some issues in, in defence. But yeah, they just didn't really turn up, and that was always my fear because it was a it was a big day on emotion. And it, you know, everyone I spoke to from, from Newcastle was like, it's just about enjoying the day. Obviously, you want to win the final, but yeah, the, that was the sweet spot because they'll expect to win trophies like these in the next few years. Actually, arguably, Newcastle haven't turned up for a cup final in fifty years. I mean, they've only played five in that time, and <laughs> in most of those finals, they have been battered. Um, yeah, my. Someone I was speaking to yesterday was saying like our next trick needs to be not not landing really really good opponents in cup finals. <laughs> right, there's one in the nineties where like yeah. Arsenal, Man United, Man United, and obviously Man United yesterday. It's yeah, they've lost each of their last nine matches at Wembley, a run that dates back to the 1974 FA Cup final. Wow. All right. Well, next up, let's move on to the weekend's event in the Premier League. This is the Totally Football Show, sponsored by LiveScore Bet. With Bet Builder from LiveScore Bet, you can combine markets from thousands of options to create your own bet on the biggest football fixtures in the Premier League, the Champions League, the EFL, and around the world. So if you think you can successfully pick the first goal scorer, the final score, the total number of corners, and whether there'll be a red card, then use Bet Builder from LiveScore Bet to make up to six selections and get a single bet with the combined odds. Or if you can't make up your mind, you can choose from the pre built quick bet options. Bet Builder from LiveScore Bet. Building a bet just got easier. Find out more at LiveScoreBet.com or by downloading the LiveScore Bet app on Android and iPhone. It's over 18s only. Full account terms apply. And of course, please bet responsibly and be gambleaware.org. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. This is the Totally Football Show, part of The Athletic Podcast Network. The Athletic is the only place you can read articles by Daniel Taylor, Amy Lawrence, Phil Hay, James Pierce, Ollie Kay, and the very best football writers around. Premier League this weekend. Friday at Craven Cottage, Fulham and Wolves drew 1-1. Saturday, 2-0 victory at Everton. Plunged the Toffees back into the bottom three. West Ham, meanwhile, leaping out of it with their 4-0 win over Forest. And Leeds also back up out of trouble into 17th place a whole one point clear with their 1-0 victory over Saints Liverpool were held to a goalless draw at Palace and up top Arsenal and Man City both won the Gunners 1-0 at Leicester City and Man City 4-1 at Bournemouth Sunday then Spurs 2 Chelsea 0 and uh, well let's talk about that game A Daniel it was unfair of Carl to bring up your widely shared view that it might be a, in some way detrimental to Spurs not having Antonio Conte on the sideline. How wrong we all were about that. That's four for yeah. four for Christian Stellini um, as, the, uh, as the kind of sideline boss. And if you take it back to Inter days, I think it's six for six. I think yeah, he had a couple I, there I, I as was, well. I was secretly a uh, Christian Stellini hype man. And I was just kind of, it was all <laughs> so, a ruse. So, what, I mean, is that just a quirk of numbers or is there something to that? Yeah, I think, I think it's just a quirk of numbers. Is it? Um, yeah, I think, so when Conte I mean, was back for the game in the middle, was at San Siro, they went and lost to not the most, the world's most irresistible team, Milan. <laughs> no, no, agreed. But I don't think that Christian Cellini, how these things work is, is not that Christian Cellini comes in with his own tactics Bible and says, right, forget everything else we've done the last few weeks. We're going to do it differently now. There might be something in that, you know, a change is as good as a rest. Right. Um, but I don't think in terms of how Tottenham played, I mean, reality is, is that was a that was an absolute archetypal Antonio Conte Tottenham performance in that they were they were stunted in the in the first half to the point that it felt deliberate, didn't have a shot on target. They were efficient in attack when they did go forward in the second half, scored two of their three shots on target. 
are a second half team because their goal difference in the first half is minus three and it's plus 14, I think, in the second half. So actually, it was very Conte. It's just that they won and they do tend to beat you know, Chelsea at the moment because Chelsea are not very good. Well, I mean, historically, they don't tend to beat Chelsea. And I think that's a, a big bugbear for Chelsea supporters after the game. The fact that their their players look so this Chelsea. Though, I mean, yeah, I mean, yeah, this Chelsea. Tottenham are 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 competent at the moment, particularly in the second half. Chelsea are are worlds away from competence. So mm. that that to me was the conclusion of the game. I mean, I only saw highlights. Sash saw it all but um yeah i don't th- I, I from the highlights i watched i think that's pretty much it sash well i think um so potter tactically i think he tried to play effectively five at the back with zish trying to cover the right flank mm. um i think broadly that did not work um because uh zish yeah zish couple of times was basically when sliding down falling down the midfield where there was attack developing on the left of someone like say ben davis i think um uh, Spurs purposefully tacked, um, you know, targeted that. They had Richarlison going in there. They had Hoiberg on that side as well. And Ben Davis was very, very progressive. So after the first maybe 10, 12 minutes when Chelsea were okayish going forwards, I think the mid- effectively the structure got a little bit broken. And um, Spurs effectively pushed them back. And because one of those Ziyech errors is why Thiago Silva got injured, because mm. he got injured, I think, tackling Kane. Um, and after that, the problem with Chelsea was, look at this Chelsea team now, they can see the one they're done. I mean, and it's they have absolutely no way of scoring. They they um, in the second half, um, I think they did nothing. They put Mudrik on with ten minutes to go. And you think, oh yeah, this guy's going to get behind Emerson Real. I think he maybe did it maybe half a time, and then Real just stood off, and then he just pumped crosses in. At that point, they put Obama Young and obviously Harvard's in there. But yeah, it's Obama the entire Spurs team really happy to come on. <laughs> exactly. I mean, they were all delighted to be there, and the entire Spurs team was in their box. So it's like there seems to be sort of disconnect in what he in, in, in what Porter is trying to do there. I spoke to Porter after the game, and to be honest, I don't know. He just he, he didn't really have anything to say about the fact they're not scoring any goals. Mm. This is one goal in six games now. Uh, it's two wins in I think fifteen. Fifteen, yeah. And um, and this is the problem. Once they go behind. That's it. I mean, and also spoke to Foster after the game as well, who I think, again, Fraser Foster, we all know he's a big guy and he's a unit, um, and he doesn't get down very well. They didn't test him with that at all. Um, and it's just like, guys, you know, think about what you're facing here. Um, and th- th- this was the problem. So Chelsea effectively melted and wilted away, and I think that's a big worry. Mm. The numbers are pretty damning. Only two shots on target all game, despite having 59%. Possession, one win in 11 or two, as you say, in their last 15. They can't defend. They've now stopped scoring as well. No one, indeed, since the start of November has scored fewer goals in the entire Premier League than Chelsea have. I think it's just six, isn't it? They're 10th at the moment on 31 points. They're only goal difference outside the bottom half of the table. They're 14 points away from the top four. They're only 10 off relegation, which sounds not desperately relevant, but the, the way this run is going. So, okay, question from Daniel Arvidsson. Make the case for keeping Potter till next season versus sacking him right now. Who's for keeping him till next season? And who's for sacking him right now? <laughs> it's, 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 it's hard. Um, it's, it's hard if you it. were Todd Bowley, what would you be doing this morning? I mean, if you, <laughs> well, if I was Todd Bowley, I think I'd look at what happens in the Champions League because, the you know, the league, the league season's dead. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're going to be in mid-table. On the one hand, it could be an opportunity uh, because he could try different things and then, and then see how they work out without much league table pressure. But I think fundamentally, if they lose to Dortmund, I think, you know, Bolly could pull the trigger. I think if you're Todd Bolly and you, you went to this expense to, to recruit Graham Potter and others, you'd hope Todd Bolly has an advisor that tells you it, it's much easier to... Well, you know, they say it's much easier to replace your manager than replace all the players. But mm. I think you've, you've got to make a decision. You've but if you replace the manager, you probably will have to replace a certain number of yeah, players anyway. Uh, and I, I, when Brighton were good last season on the Graham Potter, he often used the word alignment. He, he said, we're, we're all aligned. We've got, we're working to a clear plan. It's not just the players. It's the manager. It's, it's the people up top. And there is zero alignment yeah. in this Chelsea team. I am watching why I made that noise. When Sasha mentioned Hakim Ziyech, Ziyech would be a PSG player if it wasn't for the paperwork. Mm. And, and he's <clears throat> not only featuring games, but, but starting games. And you're going, but why? We, we know Hakim Ziyech's strengths and weaknesses as a Premier League player at this point in time. He offers very little off the ball. And yet, here he is. It's like going to games with, with an arm tied behind your back. I have very big questions as to 
Kai Havertz's ability to lead the line for right. a team that wants to be in the Champions League. Well, leading, I think it might might be a key word. Sasha, what did what did you make of Chelsea's reaction in what presumably is a keenly felt fixture for them? Well, a, it's keenly felt. B, this is a Champions League. This was very very relevant to the race for the fourth. This, mm. this is for, for, for them to be to be in it. And I think once Thiago Silva is off, there is no one else taking responsibility. I mean, it's quite hard to take responsibility, but the structure of the game mm. wasn't helped by I think by the manager. The structure of the game wasn't helped by the fact there was Ziyech, which I thought there was a big hole there, and it took him an hour to replace him. Uh, the structure of the game isn't helped by the fact that every th- the Chelsea tried to play through Enzo Fernandez, I think, a little bit too much, so it was lopsided. The way he switched around the three behind the front man also was ineffective. Just the whole thing wasn't great. And also, I think I would say with Kepa as well, Kepa doesn't come covering himself a glory for the first goal, I think. The hands are not in the right place. So the whole... And it, it's, it's just... They just wilted. I would go back to that. They just wilted. There was mm. no one coming back for them. And I think it's also a function of the team that doesn't score, that knows, oh, we've conceded, and that's it. Yeah, well, uh, what a way to concede that Oliver Skip goal. Here's uh, Kuliseski. Here's Emerson Royale. It was very much in the thick of that. Episode late in the first half, and then now Skip! Oh! Oliver Skip, his first goal for Spurs, and what a goal! The differences between a team playing, looking like they're playing really badly, and a team looking like they're playing pretty competently is not that much. And it comes down to little things like the cohesion between players, and they've bought loads. The, the fit of the manager and the squad, and there is none. The, the the toxic mood behind the scenes and we heard from Potter himself last week that he's had death threats towards his children there's no morale behind the scenes there's no positivity behind the scenes and it, you don't it, a team can very quickly look very ordinary by doing that and you know even worse than ordinary and I don't see any comeback from that now I don't see that the mood is going to suddenly change because it sounds like particularly online Chelsea fans but I'm sure match day fans as well this isn't going to change. Chelsea tried to do this when they appointed Lampard and said, right, this is going to be our new holistic era. And they they had not much change there. And Lampard still struggled to, to make a cohesive squad when the players started to come in second season. Potter's doing that with like eight umpteen expensive new signings. None of them who really know whether they're going to be there in Chelsea in two years' time, apart from they've got a 10-year contract. None of them really know if they're actually part of Potter's plans. And none of them really now know what Potter's plan even is. So how is that ever going to work? All right. Uh, Skip's goal, though, eh? Hey, <laughs> Sash. <laughs> it was... Um... Uh, I was still in the in, in the media center and I kind of I was heard, it like 20 seconds sorry, it 26 was, it was seconds 18, I looked at 18 seconds 18 and it, seconds. it came immediately after um, Kulusevski very nicely played in Emerson Royale hmm. um, so that's why it made, made me turn to the one of the 50 million screens they have in the media center next thing I see is um, Skip steaming in and I think again I think I think it's a moment of skill to open up Chelsea defense from Kulusevski uh, but at the same time I think Chelsea have the chance to clear they don't clear and then they just don't reset themselves for the second attempt. Right. What about what about the second goal? What Harry Kane? He's got a bit of a track his, a track record of scoring goals. Might he not be worth marking on a corner? Yes, very much so. This is uh, good flick from Dyer, To be fair, yes, it's a good it flick is, from Dyer. But he's, and, and it is you know it's Harry Kane, and Harry Kane has a way of magicking up that extra millimeter of positioning where where other strikers cannot. Uh, Spurs were as good as Chelsea were bad and this was a win that Tottenham needed to, to re-establish themselves seeds of growth for their top four race at a time where Newcastle appeared to may or not be having a wobble particularly in terms of goal scoring uh, but, but this Chelsea team are just bizarre I mean Koulibaly he, he's not the Koulibaly we saw in Serie A was he? Mm. It's remarkable. And then you go, well, if Koulibaly's not playing this, why, what? you've got a perfectly good Benoit Badia-Shiel on your bench who didn't come off. And maybe maybe he was injured, maybe he was 100% percent that. But it, it, what are we doing here? Mm. Uh, how, uh, Posse, Grant brought afterwards referencing the fact that he'd watched Arsenal, uh, the All or Nothing documentary and the moments when Arsenal fans wanted Arteta out and he was in a slump, and it's all come good. Is that a fair parallel to draw? Are you with nobody? She shouldn't be talk- I don't think he should be talking about that. And I, I understand what everyone understands why he's doing it, but I think it's a bad move from Potter because that is proper stroke-clutching territory, and I, think, I don't think it sends a very bad message, yeah. to be honest. Arsenal didn't have a history, recent history of sacking managers, appointing them, and then that mm. manager winning the Champions League very quickly. So um, yeah. that goes against him. I also think, I think more than one Arsenal fan would admit 
that some of the bad days on Arteta, Arteta was helped slightly by the fact that some of those really bad games were behind closed doors. Um, so you mm. don't get the, the audio visual of a man being booed mm. as he walks back down the tunnel and it looks like he's walking towards... But the point that if you give even a manager who appears to be in the worst of slumps time, he can turn it around. Possibly. Mm. I, you know, Arsenal also had the youngest team in the Premier League and Chelsea have the most expensive and one of the oldest teams in the Premier League. And also, as a Chelsea manager, you should not be bringing up what the Arsenal manager is doing unless you're roundly booing him and saying, ha ha, we beat him. Mm. Graham Potter is a thoroughly decent man and I worry he's got into the awkward situ- Roy hodgson situation where he's talking too much for a job that seems slightly too big for him. Right. And he's... I, I, th- I think Potter is a very normal guy. And maybe mm-hmm. that is his problem at Chelsea. You cannot be normal at Chelsea as a, as a manager <laughs> of Chelsea. I just think, I don't think you can. You have to... You have to have a little bit of crazy like Tuchel. You have to have a bit of showmanship like Mourinho. Mm-hmm. You just have to be more... I think the only person who come in at Chelsea and be normal someone like kidding when he's doing like mm-hmm. an interim job everybody else is just like you just you cannot approach Chelsea job as a rational man I don't think right that's that's worrying who's who's available should they decide that enough is enough there's a fine German former Champions <laughs> League winning manager who knows the uh, Wi-Fi password at Cobham that Cop- probably Cop- mm. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the kind of toddler Bowley auto call here is to is to appoint Mourinho over the summer, isn't it? That's like the that's like the dream Chelsea narrative. With that's that would be classic. Everything I've heard about Todd Bowley suggests that he would think Jose Mourinho is a good idea. Um, so this that would be very funny. Um, but I mean, Zidane is a kind of obvious choice if if Pochettino doesn't want it. But there aren't that many now, are there? Of those managers who are willing willing to risk being sacked in 15 months by Chelsea. Mm. Also, so. my, my question would be, like, um, some of those expensively assembled players, when are they going to start uh, making noises about being annoyed, about not playing, about the tactics? This will happen, mm. you know, if they carry on like this, if they carry on losing and not scoring. Well, they've got Leeds at the weekend, and then that absolutely crucial second leg against Dortmund, 1-0 down from the game at the Signal Aduna Park. Very good. Let's talk next about Palace-Liverpool. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. We're sponsored for this episode of The Totally Football Show by Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform helping you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. It's your perfect teammate, the Sutton to your Shearer, the Heskey to your Owen, the Mane and Firmino to your Salah. Whether you're selling Ibelon to Jimbo t-shirts or Max and Barry half and half scars, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, which is up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. Plus, you can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. And what's more, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 support is there to help your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Now, because you listen to The Totally Football Show, you can sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash totally, all in lowercase. 
So go to shopify.com slash totally to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. That's S-H-O-P-I-F-Y dot com slash totally. You're listening to The Totally Football Show with James Richardson, sponsored by LifeScoreBet. You can get the latest football betting odds at LifeScoreBet.com. It's over 18s only. Please bet responsibly and be gambleaware.org. That's right, listener. Palace Liverpool. I'm not sure how this nil-nil has crept up uh, so high in the uh, running order. Yeah, Klopp, I, I was Klopp about... post-game saying, you went along to this, yeah. Sash. I don't know if you spoke to Jurgen Klopp afterwards. He says, it's clear that we have to do something in the summer. For now, we just have to go through this. Yes. That, inspiring words. The messaging <laughs> has significantly changed uh, in the last, well, recently, um, that now this is, we'll have to suffer through this season. How long do you think it is before Jurgen Klopp's quoting Arteta all or nothing? <laughs> The thing is, I don't think Klopp is into that. I think he'll right. be very much quoting himself. But I think, yeah, the, the messaging has changed significantly. So I think he came out, obviously, there was a strategy to come out of the game and to talk up the points. You know, mm. we yeah, effectively, we suffered to it. We kept a clean sheet. Did, 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 and he was very much Klopp post-match talking fast a lot. And, you know, and, you know, he gets a question. He talks a lot, a lot very, very quickly and, to, you know, to put his bullish point across. But I think evidently there is um, now they've realized everything else is gone. So now he has to shout up at every point. And maybe in this situation, getting this nil-nil draw at Palace, seven points in three league games, again, you have to recalibrate everything now. Um, given how Spurs are playing, even despite the fact that Spurs won, um, it's an extra point in the race for, for, for the Champions League spot. Having said it, on the night, the game was absolutely unwatchable. Oh, it was dying. It was like one of those things that, you know, if it's on the telly after 20 minutes, you switch off. At the ground, unfortunately, you're stuck at the top row of the main standard pass, so you can't really leave. Uh, so effectively, you, you can chain to your desk and you have to watch it. Uh, I don't think against a better opponent, Liverpool would have got away with it because despite Liverpool's best attempts, Palace just won't switch on either. Vieira, after the game, kind of said, you know, he liked the discipline of the team and the last did well. I did not think Mateta had <laughs> a very switched on game at all. A um, couple of really good chances. I think second half of anything, and I think this is also indictment of Liverpool, you look at Eze coming on and then on the Palace side and Fabinho coming on Liverpool side, you think, I think there's, if there is a winner in this game, it's possibly going to be Palace. Um, but yeah, the whole, I mean, the performance was disjointed, but also, like, it's really weird you look at the stats because in the first half, I thought Matip couldn't pass, Trent couldn't pass, and then I look at the passing stats and they're like 73 and like 85, like 90% completion. It's like, where did this come from? So all these lateral passes, maybe every time they try to do interesting things, this is when it kind of completely went awry. So uh, yeah, overall, um, yeah, I mean, good job possibly Liverpool got away with the point here. Uh, Against the, a side that hasn't won since yeah, 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 last it, it, year. Exactly, mediocre, a very, very mediocre game of football. Mm. Immediately coming out of that, you think last on match of the day. I don't know if it was. I didn't wait that much of the day, mm. but yeah, bad. Really it was bad. towards the end, certainly. Uh, all right, well, let, let, let's move on from that. There'll be other opportunities. Oh, no, go on, Carl. Uh, Sasha, what's wrong with Fabinho right now? I think um, if, if, if I were to point to anything, he picked up an injury in May last year at mm-hmm. Villa. Uh, in the tackle in midfield after about 30 minutes, possibly ha- hasn't been able to move since. I don't know whether that is a, that injury, or I, 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 because I don't understand how else you can explain this very sudden aging process. He looks he can't move. Knackered. Yeah, he he's just he can't. He makes elementary mistakes. He does things so slowly. Fifth goal against Real Madrid. Mm-hmm. He's been making that mistake every time he's played this season, about twice a game. I don't know wonder they catch him out. I think it's an explic- like it is astonishing the drop off, and I, I, I and the only thing I can think is that injury in May, mm. nothing nothing else. He has sort of played four hundred and seventy games in nine years yeah. or something. He's like he's averaging over fifty games a season in a position where, when your team's not playing well, it feels like you have to be a firefighter as well as kind of what he wants to be doing, which is just sort of controlling things Casemiro style. I would I would add another thing as well that perhaps. Um, that last season that Liverpool played 63 games instead of say 56 right. seven games too far and it seems to maybe have pushed them all over the edge but Fabinho's drop off it's, it's, it's utterly remarkable mm-hmm. alright hello Kevan Kevchenko who says Celtic just talk Celtic Sasha you watched their 2-1 victory over Rangers at the weekend uh, yeah it was, this was uh, one thing that's striking um, the number of Japanese players at Celtic it's kind mm. of sort of crept up on me uh, they're like the Scottish version of Saint Ruden now there are five of them, four of them started. And, you know, Kyogo, I think, is 24, 25 goals this season already. And, uh, yeah, I mean, they, they played Rangers off the park. 
Uh, and especially at closing stages, it was like counterattacks upon counterattacks into space against McGregor. But I think in terms of um, in terms of like a goal poaching striker, Kyogo uh, mm. looks, looks, looks absolutely decent. Um, it's 28. Um, the other Japanese players are around like 25, and uh, there's a defender who's 22. So it's it's interesting to see this develop because I, I think it's always curious when you have like a um, a bunch of players in the same country, like a random faraway club, mm. as you're currently getting at Celtic, because, for example, you know, Saint Trudeau, they have Japanese owners in, in Belgium, so that, that's why I have half They're essentially like Shakhtar Donetsk, but with Japanese, <laughs> Japanese players. Ties, but right, yeah, okay. But, I, I mean, you see the players come, they're coming from distant sides, so you got Yokohama Mariners, Vissel Kobe, Kawasaki Frontalis, so they're Love picking the better, the better talent for, from the Japanese league over the last, I think, a year and a half. Mm-hmm. So, um, fair play to... Uh, it fair must, be, must, must be from Postecoglou uh, oh, yes, as well, from that side of the world. Oh, yeah, fair. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, it's turning into quite a season again for Celtic. They've just won the League Cup final with that victory over Rangers. They're in the other cup as well. And then, ooh, nine points clear in the league. Bittersweet times. Meanwhile heading a long way south to Southend United, who were 2-1 winners with the last last gasp, uh, second goal against Torquay. Torquay United on Saturday. Reading that could be their final ever game. They could be wound up over a debt of 1.4 million to the taxman, although some suggestions that this is just part of the kind of ongoing financial chicanery from their owner. They have been in this situation before. This is not the first, not even the third winding up all they had and they have always got out of it before and they have always eventually paid up the difference is that the court this time has made it clear that this is last chance there's not going to be any more further delays there's not going to be any more excuses um the last thing that people want to do is wind up a football club but at some point that is the only eventuality if they don't pay it also seems to be every time there's more and more money involved so they're only put it seems to be they we're just only kicking the can down the road. Yes. Unusually for a football club. That's true. Mm. All right. FA Cup fifth round. Best of luck to all Shrimpers fans out there. A Tuesday in the FA Cup fifth round, Stoke will be taking on Brighton. Leicester take on Blackburn. Fulham. Are you going along to this, Sasha? They've got Leeds. Not this one, but looks like the tie of the round. Does it? Okay. Bristol City hosting Manchester City on Tuesday night. On Wednesday, Southampton take on Grimsby. Fleetwood Town make the journey to Burnley. Manchester United face West Ham and Sheffield United have a visit from Tottenham Hotspur. Meanwhile, there's also two Premier League games going on midweek on Wednesday. Arsenal face Everton, who you will recall beat them in Sean Dyche's debut uh, fixture. And Liverpool take on Wolves. Nil-nil, Sash, nil-nil there? Possibly. Um, (laughs) Not looking forward to this one either. I don't think it's going to be a feast. All right, Arsenal-Everton though. Uh, Arsenal 2 Points clear of Manchester City after the weekend. And, and that game against Everton is the game they have in hand. So an opportunity to open it up back up to, to five points. Saturday, a 1-0 win for the Gunners at Leicester. Uh, Daniel, four twos are nice, but this is the kind of result that you want when you're trying to win titles. Yeah, I, I very grandly uh, called it the mundanity index in the score on Monday morning. Like Everyone remembers the goal against Villa, but yes, if, if you have too many of those games, you are eventually you'll be tossing a coin and you'll come out on the wrong side. What you want is a game where your opponent has one shot from outside the box that isn't on target, the lowest ever XG recorded in a Premier League game by a team since records began. When did they start recording XG? Your guess is as good as mine, would, but I'm, probably, ten years probably ago? when the robots became sentient, I suspect, Right. Um, around that time. That's still, uh, a, I mean, that's a big <laughs> tranche of matches. This is the lowest XG any club has ever Depending had. Depending on who you ask, it was either 0. 0.01 or, or 0. 0.02. 0. Um, yeah. This was well shot from range. So Madison was out, but... And that's it. That's it. You can truly describe it as Madison was out and there was therefore no attacking threat from Leicester City. This was a... The, the sort of perfunctory workman-like performance you want from a team in the middle of a title race. Jorginho looked superb because he had zero defensive concerns to to, to, to make do. I actually think this is probably Pep Guardiola's ideal game oh, yeah. where the opposition does nothing and you're in total control. It's just a matter for you to score one. So, I mean, fair play because, you know, Arteta learned from the best. I, I would say one, one point on Arsenal... Um, they played Leander Trossard as the central striker, which A, gives Eddie Nketiah a rest, B, shows why it's a good idea to buy attacking players in Brighton because they've already played in every single position. <laughs> uh, and C, worked for the goal because Trossard drifted out left, which is what Gabriel Jesus 
did before he was injured and what Nketiah does less. Uh, and then Martinelli kind of fill, you know, dips into the space and scores. Trossard, this is where he really wants to be out wide. Martinelli wants to be in the middle, really. It's passed it to Saka, doesn't get a touch because it's gone all the way in. And Martinelli, who took a hefty knock in scoring, has netted for Arsenal in the opening minute of the second half. That, that feels more of a, a kind of long-term plan than just keeping hoping Nketiah scores goals at good times. Mm. Get players from Brighton, but not necessarily managers. Interesting. Arsenal, as I say, two points clear of Man City. Can make it five points if they beat Everton on Wednesday. Will they this time? Uh, can I just make a quick, quick point about... Uh, I'm really pleased uh, the first goal did got disallowed because White holds Ward's arm. And it's really yes, annoying. Does. It's yeah. really, really annoying. I cannot believe that you know, Arsenal side are complaining about this. I mean, it, this this is a similar thing happened to them, actually, when Pontus Janssen uh, held Leno in the 2-0 in the opening game of the season before. But it's just really annoying. I know they say keepers are overprotected or anything like that, but you're sly. He knew what he was doing and the keeper was put off. Fair enough, fair enough. Referees got that call right with the aid of the men with the shiny machines. So Everton on Wednesday, is it going to be different this time? Party might be available. Reading that party might be back for, for that game. Everton... <laughs> they lost to Villa at the weekend. Yeah, they didn't look great in that mm. defeat, and you know the the joy of watching corner kicks being whipped into Tarkovsky at the back post of has limited <laughs> has has lost its shine a little bit. Um, I after spending many 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 a season yelling that Alex Awobi is actually a box to box midfielder, and being quite glad that Frank Lampard put him there. I'm quite sad that Sean Dyche has moved Alex Awobi out wide again. I think. When two or three personnel come back in from injury, Sean Dyche might move. It will be back inside. But uh, I think Everton... Uh, they, are, hmm? they are painful at finishing chances, though. I yes, mean, yes, they are. They need Dominic Calvert-Lewin back. And that kind of frustration at him being out has kind of almost now kind of turned back on him and like it's his fault somehow. What, what's he currently out with, Daniel? He's got a hamstring issue and there's a, a story in the mirror this morning saying that it's serious enough that there's no return date penciled in, which Ooh. is... Oh, wow. Uh, not ideal because they just you know their goals under Dyche have been scored by James Tarkovsky and and Seamus Coleman scoring a once in a career strike from out wide mm. that isn't sustainable and, and Neil Mopé just just has worked so badly at Everton I think he's scored once in about thirty shots this season so he's kind of taken that Brighton tag with him to Goodison. Mm. That's one Brighton forward player you shouldn't sign. <laughs> yeah, okay. yeah, he hasn't played everywhere. Right, it's okay. like seventeen games without scoring for him now, and he looked like I mean he had like three chances, and you think a de- striker in decent form might do something with one of them, but nothing there. And I think you know if Arsenal have anything about them, they mm-hmm. will just turn it into another Leicester and just restrict them to a couple of shots and just do a yeah. one-two nil. Very good. Report to me while at City winning a game away from home. This happened at Bournemouth. <laughs> Uh, a four-one victory for Man City, and post-game a lot of excitement. Social media about the things that Pep did with his midfield. What what did Pep do with his midfield, and why was it so impressive? Is it just Rico Lewis in midfield? Bournemouth. Or? Yeah, I mean you can do anything you want. Against I'm sorry, mild disrespect to Bournemouth. Right. But this game was over the moment. I mean, before the game, where Pep Guardiola did his Pep compliment, saying, "Oh yeah, Bournemouth played really good." You're like, "Oh no, he's doing it again." <laughs> the dreaded pep compliment before a game before you know his team goes and absolutely stomps on you Bournemouth who'd lost their last 12 games against Man City and now yeah. 13 yeah. in a row this was uh, okay well yeah. we shall we move on to something the else one thing, uh, I was going to say the one thing that was the one thing that interested me is it's only the second time I think this season that uh, Pep has started his three young forwards so Foden 22 Haaland 22 Alvarez 22 he's always trying to rotate it with one of you know, one of the, one or two of the older statesmen, and that is that has to be the future for City. They're quite an old team by Premier League standards, and I know Guardiola is trying to kind of move on from that with Rico Lewis coming in and Cancelo moving out. But yeah, that's the future. Pep also explaining after the game that the reason that Foden hadn't been playing as much, which a lot of people were concerned about, was that he had various injury issues post World Cup, but now uh, he looked to be fully fit again. Sasha. I think well, what an astonishing stat: Foden, two hundred games for City. Poor pass, Foden will surely cash in, he does! On his 200th Manchester City appearance, Phil Foden punishes Bournemouth. And then I saw that Mbappé scored his 200th goal for PSG and I was like, oh, perspective. But 55 Mm. goals and I I think, um, you know, Foden, age of 22, 
playing for you know possibly the best team in Europe and he has his place in the local lad. I think I think it's a great story. I think and the other thing I did enjoy and of course they accentuated on it uh, in match of the day is Rico Lewis and what a what a difference he's made. Um, and I still think back to the Chelsea game I was at um, Chelsea City but a couple of months ago where kind of Lewis made that breakthrough and uh, he came on at half time, changed the game, like he put City in control and how effusive. Guardiola was about him afterwards, and I was like, I think, you know, Pep words. Next thing you know, Cancelo sold the Rico Lewis's in the team. I think it's, it's extraordinary. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right, Bournemouth in penultimate place in the table. Uh, only one point from safety, though. Leeds in 17th place, but got some tough games coming up there at Arsenal next weekend, and then they host Liverpool. Hmm. All right, more of that relegation stuff next. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Listen, West Ham were facing what was billed as a key game for David Moyes on Saturday. But Daniel, Dr. Forrest will see you now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, doc, Dr. Forrest away from home. Yeah. Uh, we'll visit uh, to, you, yes. I mean, I keep, uh, I'm, I'm going blue in the face saying this, but A, Forrest can see gold in clusters and they managed to kind of supercharge that effort by conceding four in the last 17 minutes. Wow. Uh, and also, they don't score away from home. The Premier League record away goals, low away goals total is seven by Norwich. Forrest are on three and we're about to enter March. Mm-mm. Um, I mean, they've got six points from those three goals, which is impressive efficiency, but it's just so hard to explain the difference between them at home and away well, and... Let's talk about the difference in West Ham then, because they they look revitalised, and Danny Ings a big part of that. Scoring scoring forwards at West Ham, it's extraordinary, almost unheard of. <laughs> and here the centre forwards get two, his sub gets another one. I think it's remarkable efficiency from 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 West Ham. Uh, for me, I would tend to agree with much of the day guys who are talking about Jared Bowen, because uh, I think so much industry understands the game really well. Um, also came through the ranks, came through the divisions, hit the post also at 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 nil nil, and I think just a lot of industry there. I mean. Rice with the worldie, but I think it, it felt it felt that in the second half, eventually they just completely overran them, and there was nothing that Forrest could do defensively because they were pulled apart everywhere. And I, and again, also I think it helps in West Ham situation where your centre forward scores very centre forward goals, right? Because they were very much there in the mixer in the six yard box. The second one was brilliantly taken though, because that was no, the, one the first where... one, the behind them, behind yeah, 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 the first one behind them. Yeah, that's that's again. This, this is a guy who knows where he's and what he needs to do. And right. I think uh, Danny Ings could potentially to be quite an astute signing for David Moyes. There. And what about Declan Rice's goal? Fantastic. That's our move. Got played back underway quickly. It's Declan Rice advancing. Now Ben Rama. Rice. Really superb. This is David Moyes. This season has been very disappointing for West Ham. If you, know, if you, you want to be really brutally honest about it, this was a this was a team, a squad that got to a European semi final last season and seemed there or thereabouts for qualifying for the Europa League last season, and, and they are murdering a relegation battle. They really shouldn't be in. David Moyes has spent much of this season caught in between the old spine of West Ham and and these newer players, and you just just. Let go of the handbrake, quite frankly. Mm. Um, West Ham should be a lot better than this, and this is the sort of result that, yeah, that that when they overrun Nottingham Forest, you're going, ah, there it is. That's the West Ham team we should have had for the majority of this season. But but I think also there's something weird with West Ham, and you know maybe expectations as well. If you take you know you know take yourself away from what's currently there, they very rarely do consecutive good seasons. I mean, they've had two top seven finishes, I think for the first time possibly ever. So maybe there is something just within, within sort of the structure of the club. That, or maybe it's the way where they are. There will necessarily be a drop-off, well, apart from where you sign loads of players and know what to do with them. I think so is I it think something it. as obvious as, as they get into Europe and then mm. Europe messes up the following season and then they don't get into Europe and, and then, then they, they do well. recover again. Uh, it, perhaps it is as simple as that because, again, how big this was look big, mm. but are they really that big given how much I, exertion there is? It, it's also probably to do with the fact that when you are West Ham, a club of that financial strength, the boom bust potential of certain players is much higher you can you know someone like Declan Rice who is able to give more seven out of tens on a week-to-week basis is is always being lured away Mm. whereas you a player like someone like Suchek or Ben Rama who can on one week deliver an eight out of ten on the other week deliver a four out of ten on the play is more likely to stay so you have this this wider variance Suchek in in particular I'm 
<clears throat> much in the same way I asked you about what's wrong with Fabinho. He he looks a shadow of the player he was during cl- closed doors football. This this win though, because it was a mighty win by the end, four nil. Does this represent a turning point for West Ham and the battle against relegation? Or Daniel, was it just playing Nottingham Forest away from home? I mean, well, yeah, Nottingham la- Forest away from home. The last time. Moyes was in this situation of this kind of win or or get sacked was Everton at Frank Lampard's Everton at home and Lampard was then sacked afterwards. Um, I mean, there is a, a kind of a sort of re- weird repeated scenario whereby you just tell David Moyes it's his last game in charge if he doesn't win and then the team start to attack and they win. But if you are prepared to sack a manager if you don't win the next game, it does rather suggest that he isn't the long-term manager either way. Um, they will be fine if they keep attacking. If they keep, you know, Declan Rice had 20-odd touches in the attacking third of the pitch. Bowen was brilliant, which meant Ben Rama had 10 touches of the ball in the opposition box. Those things just haven't been happening recently and they should be happening because West Ham are solid enough defensively now with Nayef Agued firmly in the team mm. that they can attack teams. Mm. All right. Forest next weekend will be at home to Everton, which could be quite a key game for both sides. Everton back in the bottom three. Forest only four points outside it. Still better there than you know in it. Uh, also this weekend, Saints bottom of the table. They played their new manager bounce card last weekend and, and, and beat Chelsea. But they got trumped by someone else's this time. A one nil defeat by uh, Leeds in Javi Gracia's first uh, match in charge. Southampton looked terrible. Really, to be quite frankly, about it. Like, this is that 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 is the sort of result that if Southampton go down, which is now beginning to look more likely than not, you can go ah that that's that's the point of no return. Leeds were competent, and, and the hiring of Javi Gracia is competent. And that's all you really need to do to, to beat a Southampton team that have very little goal-scoring threat other than James Ward-Prowse set-pieces. There's just not... I can't see enough goals in this Southampton team to, to, to avoid the drop. I have a question for you. Mm-hmm. Jan Bednarek, mm-hmm. Gavin Bazunu mm-hmm. are making a lot of mistakes. Yes. Jan Bednarek also seems to attract ridiculous bad luck. Mm. Is that, Has it always been like this? No. So... 1920, Jan Benerank was Ralph Hasselhoff's go-to, played every single game. Hasselhoff referred to him as a firefighter. Uh, and he, he was in that interesting vortex of a someone who puts out loads of fires but wasn't the best at spotting smoke. But his professionalism, athleticism and whatnot meant he, he'd win more battles than not. Uh, and in the last 18 months, that awareness and sense of timing has fallen off a cliff. It is a remarkable downturn for soft intangible reasons. Like, yeah, you, you can only really describe as luck. He's he's not the defender he was before. He went off on loan to Aston Villa and he's come back and, and he wasn't great at Aston Villa. He looks even worse now. Uh, Gavin Bazunu looks like a, a very young goalkeeper who's probably playing at a level a little bit above him. And this is a you know, very young Southampton team that's got two or three very promising young players who've been pinched from academies or whatever who need someone up front who can score 10 to 15 goals a season and someone in defence who just knows how to head a ball away when it gets into dangerous areas and they don't have those two and that's why they're going to be in a lot of trouble this season and probably next season in the Championship. On, um, on Briefly on Bazunu, um, a kind of to go all Duncan Alexander on us, there's a, a statistic which is post-shot expected goals, which is basically like how many plus goals as a goalkeeper saved a team according to the quality of chances and shots he's faced versus how many he cost a team. And I think the second worst in the Premier League is Mark Travers at Bournemouth, who's Bournemouth number two, uh, because he played quite a lot when Neto was injured with something like six point something. And Bazuna's on like minus 11.9. Like these are season changing mistakes like that you know Junior Firpo's shot was not strong enough that it shouldn't have been held let Mm. alone should have been allowed to squirm under his body and those are the results that not just the three points on the day but kind of that sends messages to players of like oh god we're in trouble here if 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 that's happening Mm. and there's just no confidence in the defense all right well League table sending one or two of those messages as well. Four points now from safety, Southampton, in last place. Leeds, who are all at one point above the bottom three, are at Fulham on Tuesday in the Cup. And since you went along and braved the cold on Friday, give us 
to finish off, Sasha, if you will, just a, a few words on Fulham's 1-1 draw with Wolves. Uh, perhaps uh, that man, Manor Solomon. Oh, it's, um, again, another Shakhtar Donetsk alumnus. Uh, didn't play very much earlier in the season. And his third goal in three games as a sub, which Duncan Alexander tells me is the first time this happened in the Premier League since Emil Smith-Rowe for Arsenal in December oh. 2021. Well, that's oh. not that long. Well, actually, actually, I was surprised. It's not that long. <laughs> but also, I think first Israelis have scored to score in three consecutive games in the uh, Premier League since uh, Roy Rosenthal. Right. And, of course, not that many um, Israeli players have made it to sort of the very highest level. So there's a lot of chat about that. His Certainly dad was at the game as well, which right. was nice. Oh, that's nice, yeah. yeah. Um, but it's a lot like Prince. Sorry, that's my... Prince. Do you not think? Do you got a Prince guy? He's got oh, a not. huge... Um, He's got huge Kairu Matoma energy, hasn't he? Of just like, nobody knows me, so if I just yeah, run directly right. at me, you don't yeah. know what I'm going to okay, do. Okay, we've got a picture. Sorry to interrupt your answer. No, no, that's oh, important. Yeah, 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 yeah. It looks like early Prince, yeah. kind of... Uh, love se- Not Love Sexy. What's the what's the early one where he's there with a naked... Uh, hang on, Controversy? Who? Controversy. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, he's got massive uh, Controversy album cover. There we go. Yeah. And, 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 and a bit of magic because he comes on, mm. he changes the game. I mean, Fulham in the first half were thoroughly mediocre. Mm. I think Reed gets a knock early doors, can't get quite into it. Bobby the Cordova Reed stuck out on the flank, doesn't do very much. Wolves fashioned a couple of chances. Pablo Sarabia stabbed one at the keeper, nice finish. And then Solomon came on. Boom. And then he just he just moves with the ball so well. The goal was so well taken. I think uh, Wolves weren't helped by the fact it was Cunha uh, to injury. So I'm still we'll see how they do over the next few games. But uh, for Fulham, you know, it's, it's it was a nice win. Daniel, I very rudely no, interrupted oh, your your your, well, your Matoma comparison. Yeah, he's got huge Kairo Matoma energy, and that nobody really knows anything about him. So he's going to make the most of that by running directly at players. I also like him because he's got a name that is. He's got a forename that is consonant vowel, consonant vowel, consonant, and he's got a surname which is consonant vowel, consonant vowel, consonant vowel, consonant. Just all in a row, beautiful. Man or Solomon. Man or, man or Solomon. Perfect. There you go. That's okay. all you want in a name. Uh, I did all, uh, one thing I would point out as well. Um, yeah. Diego Costa coming on. It was the most Diego Costa like <laughs> ten minutes. Of, yeah, of, you would imagine. He comes on to a chorus of booze. He runs across the bitch. First thing he does here, he tangles with the defender. And then he kind of wanders about for 10 minutes, about five yards behind play, touches the ball twice, mostly just glowering. And I was like, why is this guy here? (laughs) (laughs) But it was sort of sad and sort of funny, but probably more sad than funny because I just don't think he should be there. No, no, it's a a panto performance Mm. of Diego Costa. (laughs) A pantomime performance from Diego Costa, quite, quite the rarity there. Uh, very good. Well, with that, we come to the end of today's Totally Football Show. Thursday, of course, we return with our thoughts on the midweek action. Tuesday, though, we will have uh, the Euro crew in after what's been a crucial weekend in the Continental Leagues with a classique at the top of Ligue 1 and a very, very big game at the top of the Bundesliga as well and all sorts of other stuff. Too. So do join us for that. For now, as many thanks to Daniel Story, to Sasha Gurinov and Carl Anker, and you, listener, and producer Jesse. From all of us here, it's goodbye. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Discover bonus video content by searching for The Totally Football Show on YouTube and see the very latest subscription offers at theathletic.com slash totally. The Totally Football Show is an athletic media company production and sponsored by LiveScore Bet. Get the latest football betting odds at livescorebet.com. It's over 18s only. Please bet responsibly and be gambleaware.org. The Athletic.